All right, fresh off one of the greatest selling down. Actually, it's not selling because it's all free, but uh, one of the most downloaded episodes ever last week with WWE, WWF, WCW, TNA, PWG, Legend, Hot Rod, Rowdy Roddy Piper. We're back, not with a wrestling legend, but with a true wrestling fan. And it's the fans who make Rowdy Roddy Piper and anyone else a legend, because we're the people who buy the shit. He's also a very funny comic, creator of videos that takes seven months to get out. Put your grubby, greasy, dirty fingers together for Mr. Patrick O'Sullivan. Thank you. You don't get an intro like that on anyone else's podcast. No, and I'm honored to be the guest after Rowdy Roddy Piper. It's a tough spot. You know, it's like you're like uh, Corolla filling in for Stern after he left radio. It's like, I, I, yeah, I don't know who would have been. Uh, you, I figured get a wrestling fan. Yeah. As my dog's wiping her ass on the carpet. That's it's always, a Rikishi move right there. Yeah, the, the uh, stink. What was it? The stink The stink face. face. Which is crazy to me that Rikishi got into the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's like, who yeah. doesn't? Yeah, I have some other choices over him. Well, I mean, Rick Rude should have been in before Rikishi. Uh, I mean, who are your choices? Uh, yeah, who's not in there? I would go, I would go even with... Uh, Sting. Sting? Is Booker T in? Yeah, Booker T's in. Okay. Definitely go with him. Um, How about tag teams? Um, well, if the Bushwhackers are in, uh, I'm pretty sure it, it. I think if you're 50 and alive, you get in. <laughs> or dead. Right. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you know, took Macho Man. Uh, I mean. Yeah, but. Because, you know, he was boning Stephanie McMahon. Yeah, back yeah you said it for me. <laughs> Don't you think it would have been cool if she would have put him in? <laughs> that would have been amazing. Just an inside <laughs> joke for us Marks and, like. Like I was talking to Piper, I was like, "How the hell did Hulk Hogan be the guy who puts him in?" They hated each other. Yeah, from what I hear. Well, I mean, you know, if you believe what Warrior said in his shoot videos, which I do, you ever see those? Yeah, they just goes on and on and on. It's in like an hour of him interviewing himself <laughs> without stopping. That's the best way to do it. I mean, I could do maybe fifteen <laughs> minutes before I'd be like, "All right, I don't, I don't really know what else to say." You got the feeling he had another hour in him. You got to really love yourself. Yeah, I think he Warrior did. Oh, yeah. If you change your name to your character, your legal name, you love yourself. But that's almost, you know, people probably, when they hear that, go, what an idiot. What a moron. It's really quite genius when you think about it. Oh, yeah. The fact that he would subject his kids to be called Dana Warrior. <laughs> He's basically setting his kids up for a future as wrestlers. Can you imagine the shit? That those kids take in school. <laughs> hey, warrior. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. But uh, but rest in peace. We don't like to make fun of the dead here. No. Uh, but if you talk about pro wrestling, you're probably going to make fun of the dead. So, I mean, they're all dropping like flies. Right. I think even Hakeem died. But that was my one-man gang, yeah, one Hakeem. One of the great character crossovers ever. One of the most racist moves, right? I mean, it's crazy. If and I, I was telling uh, Piper this yesterday. They did the opening vignette of how they brought in Hakeem, like the 
from one man gang to Hakeem is they have Gene Okerlund <laughs> in like this alley in New York at night. And they have these like six black dudes in like savage outfits, like Kamala almost like a, and, but the funniest thing was you can all, you could see their Converse sneakers on, like they're running around in like, you know, wild man of Borneo outfits, but yeah. with like Chuck Taylors on and Slick comes into the scene with a boom box and then fucking Hakeem is like, you know, my brothers. And just, I don't know what he was talking about. That was the eighties, dude. You can get away with that. But I mean, you're like, like the, like how old are you? Uh, late thirties. So we're a good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm 46, <laughs> but I, if is there anyone out there casting? I could play 44. Uh, I play a 20. But you, you, you look young. I would have said late 20s. Nah, that's being nice. Yeah, but you don't look uh, like, you know, like weather. Yeah, I don't think or, I've lived. No, I don't look like I've lived. I got soft hands. I bet. I do. Well, I do have a gay audience, so I don't know what you're. Uh, I'm assuming you're straight, but who knows? I am, but my hands, you know, could be could be bought. Well, yeah. Well, we'll see you on the casting couch at uh, Ocean Park in twenty uh, first. <laughs> it's for you local actors on the scene. You, you know, that's Ocean Park casting where I'm loved. I don't book anything, but I'm loved. Uh, yeah, but you know, there's some people like I play hockey on Sundays in Orange County with with a bunch of 20 year old kids who look like they're 50. Oh yeah, yeah. Because they drink and smoke weed sure. and probably a little powder and you know. But and then I know uh, some people like Kirk Fox. Do you know Kirk yeah, Fox? Sure. I mean, he's I think 50, but he looks you know late 30s. Right. So and then, you know you. We get so stuck in L.A., but you go to other parts of the country and you really realize that you're like, oh, that's what a 25-year-old looks like. Yeah. Like just, a 40-year-old. <laughs> I mean, I met this 22-year-old girl the other night uh, at the comedy store, and she looked 15. Wow. And, and she's fresh off the boat, you know, but, you know, give her like two years and she'll look like, you know, hanging out with Ron Jeremy at the Rainbow. <laughs> she'll look in her early 30s by, you know, July. This town can, this business can age you. Yes. I mean, how do you deal with the stress? Uh, I don't know if I deal with it that well. I mean, I've been here a long time, but uh, it's got to keep going. That's all you can do, right? Where are you from? San Francisco. And did you start comedy there? Not really. I dabbled. I didn't really commit to actual stand-up until 2011. That's when I really... Oh, wow. What yeah. were you before, actor? Or? Yeah. I was, you know, I was, you know, there's always that question of how long have you been in comedy and how do you answer that? But uh, I did it consistently in 2007 and eight here. And then I had this sketch show that kind of took off. And so I went and did that different parts of the country. And then I came back to it in 2011. I was doing a documentary on Lenny Bruce at the time. So I was interviewing all these comics and that was like a six year span. So that really gave me that itch again. Like, ah, oh, man, I got to do this. I got to do this. What am I doing with my life? I'm finally uh, committed to it. I'm in now. Oh yeah, it's you're in too deep. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm I always say I'm too dumb to quit because of. What are we gonna do? What else are we yeah, gonna do? Yeah, after 15 years for me in comedy, am I gonna quit? Yeah, I remember you from back uh, Liquid Zoo. I remember those days. Yeah, for those of you, uh, yeah. you know, wondering what the hell Liquid Zoo was, <laughs> it's not the Holy City Zoo of San Francisco fame where. You know, Robin Williams, Rob Schneider, yeah. you, you know, Larry Bubbles Brown. Uh, a, Great a, reference. An amazing legend in this uh, business. Yeah. 
uh, it's not that zoo. Liquid Zoo was a uh, shitty bar open mic, but got a lot of talent. Sure. Like it was weird to go in there and see like someone like Ian Bag uh-huh. uh, doing his Tonight Show set. It's like, you know, so it kind of like it was a weird. It was like doing comedy at that bar in Star Wars. Right. You know, it's just like, there's a lot of funny people in here. There's a lot of unfunny people here. Yeah. And you know, just going back to what you're saying, because I'm actually from a town called Millbrae, which is 10 minutes south of San Francisco. And uh, it's a neighborhood that was had a real large contingent of Tongan and Samoan people. So they were cousins with the Barbarian. The Barbarian, the wrestler? The Barbarian used to be in my neighborhood when I was a kid. It was the coolest thing ever. I saw him. I saw Snooka. Is uh, the Barbarian alive? Conga the Barbarian. Yes. I know for a fact. Can't you know, remember. I'm thinking of Hercules. No, no. You know the Barbarian of the, uh, and the Warlord of Powers of powers of Pain, right? Are you sure he's not dead? Pretty sure he's alive. That's the crazy thing when you talk about these old wrestlers. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, is Abe Vigoda dead? Last I heard he was hanging out in Minnesota. Well, you got to feel for a guy like the Barbarian. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a guy who probably didn't save his money, probably didn't make a lot to begin with. Right. Now what's he do? His whole life has been wrestling. Yep. And now he's got to, like, go to high school uh, conventions with Virgil just to try and make a, a, a dollar. Oh, yeah, for sure. I uh, We also grew up uh, by the hotels where the wrestlers stayed at when they wrestled in San Francisco at the Cow Palace. So I lived right below, which was also down the street from the Balco gym, the famous steroid gym. And you know they were hanging out there. Oh, yeah. To just get to Victor Conte and, and his uh, secret juice. And yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy to look back at some of those guys and think what they were taking. I mean, you know, you look at Hercules. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Ted Arcidi. Yeah, uh, you, you know, Ivan Putsky, uh, Scott Steiner, uh, Warrior. Uh, I don't know if Sid Vicious ever did it. I mean, he was so big naturally. That, right. Uh, I mean, now they kind of test. Not really, but kind of. You know. They I mean, I don't they, care if they take it. No, I just want to be entertained. Yeah, if you I, listen, if you want to take a couple years off your life to entertain me, that's your decision. I mean, I'm supporting it, I guess. But. It's it's a scripted thing. If if it's NFL, okay, you're you're talking about competitive sport. We're talking about a scripted sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it. Although when I said that to Piper, he, he, and he's a great dude. I mean, right, right. Uh, he kind of like his ears perked up. And go, you're not calling it fake, are you? I could tell that. Yeah. that was you know. So it's. At, you know, at what point did you realize it was fake or scripted? Well, I forget how I found out. I remember, uh, I kind of remember my dad thinking it was real more than I did, which was weird. So this is like <laughs> mid to late 80s? Yeah, yeah. And his favorite wrestler was Roddy Piper. Uh, well, for obviously reasons, because he's Irish and the whole Scottish theme, and they like to bond together. But... uh I don't remember the exact moment I knew it was fake. You know what it was probably? When I started seeing them around my neighborhood. Oh, just right. Just going like, that guy's not really a barbarian. He's just a Tongan guy. Yeah. You know? Uh, or or one time, I remember this just crushed my childhood. We went to some matches, and my buddy and his dad dropped me off after the matches, and then he saw King Kong Bundy at 7-Eleven after. And so I didn't get to see him, but, but even in my mind, I was like, King Kong Bundy goes to 7-Eleven like a normal person? That's amazing. I thought he was a superhero. Yeah, I mean, I, 
I think the first time I thought it was like, oh, maybe this isn't like, maybe this is just acting, was uh, Eddie Gilbert. Uh, he broke his neck, allegedly, in a match. And the next week he was wrestling. I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> What's like, that doesn't seem like it could happen. I mean, it's. It, I was so into it. I was like, okay, it's possible a broken neck could heal in a week. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, when I met Kamala once in real life, uh, uh, and yeah. he spoke perfect English, and kimchi, who was actually Harvey Whippleman. <laughs> I like, you don't look Asian. Because he had like the outfit on, or right. he was... He had regular clothes on. He was dressed kind of like you are right now, you know, like regular shirt and jeans. Yeah. And the but the outfit was right next to him. I'm like, oh, you're not Japanese, so you know. But I don't care. I mean, it's a soap opera. Absolutely, it's a male soap opera. I try to explain that to people. It's weird, you know. I I feel like over the years, sometimes you'll mention it to somebody that you like it, and they'll they'll look at you almost like you collect child pornography or something. Like, it's just bad, but uh, it's more accepted now, I think, um, as a fan. I mean, I think because, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, like, The Rock is a, probably the biggest uh, actor going right now. Right. You know, and, like, when Hogan was acting, he he, he never got anywhere near The Rock's success. So I, I think when you see a mainstream guy, you know, like, be the guy, it's like, oh, that's the wrestler, you know, and... You know, I mean, John Cena movies are pretty forgettable. Just for pure entertainment purposes, I was watching some clips the other day, and they did an episode of Baywatch, the WCW wrestlers. Did you see that? I remember. Who was in it? Well, to me, Ric Flair just stole the whole thing. But he was just doing Ric Flair. Everybody else seemed a little uncomfortable on camera in that setting. Like, Flair and Kevin Sullivan get out of a limo with Vader, and they're facing off against, you know, like a confrontation on Venice Beach. You see the basketball players behind him. It's Hogan. Uh, Savage and somebody else, you know, they challenge him to a match later. But Flair's just doing Flair the whole time. He doesn't care. Camera, woo, he's still Flair. Everybody else a little bit like, I'm trying to act. And that's yeah. that's why it's the best performance because it's Flair being Flair. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think actually the wrestlers back then are better actors. Like, you look at the wrestlers now, one, they're not believable as their characters. Right. And the few that get movies, like, uh, you know John Cena movies. I mean, that's some pretty stiff acting. <laughs> and uh, who was it? Uh, I think the Marine Two was Ted DiBiase's kid. Oh God! Who he disappeared? He quit. Uh, why? He just wanted a regular job. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, your dad's a legend. He, I thought he was pretty good. He kind of had that dicky character. Like he kind of yeah. had a similar vibe as his dad. Like I'm better than you, but. You know, wrestling's not... For, it's like comedy. It's not for everybody. No. I feel like they should have gone full bore with him, though. Just uh, call him the million-dollar son. They kind of did it, but really give him the outfit and everything. Just, just own up to it. I think he did a sketch or a segment with Virgil that I remember being pretty funny. Like, Virgil came back <laughs> to talk sense into him. Like, Virgil's, to me, one of the great characters of life. Such a racist character. Just the, I can't say the word I want to use, but, you know, the, the stereotypical house... <clears throat> um, or Uncle Tom, whatever you want. In uh, God, they had some great racial characters back then. I mean, they, when you think about it, it's, it's there's no way they could operate like that today. Yeah, I mean, they still kind of, you know, they play with stereotypes like the Rusev character. But I mean, that's yeah. I mean, I guess that's racist. I mean, I'm not. By the way, if you hear crunching in the background for the listeners, 
you know, this is one of the uh, cons of doing the podcast from your home. That's neither me or Patrick. It's Lois eating. So she's dog. usually a nighttime eater, but uh, yeah. Uh, but she also usually doesn't like male guests, and she warmed up to Patrick. Uh, so you know, sorry about, about that. What does that say about me? It says you're good with dogs and uh, that you make them want to eat. All right. I mean, I know we had some audio uh, problems when Stephen Piercy, the singer from Rat, which is the most downloaded episode ever uh, of uh, Inappropriate Earl. He was chewing gum the whole time. So people were like, what's that clicking sound? I'm like, how do you tell your favorite singer of all time, hey, can you spit the gum out? I I couldn't do it. He's your favorite of all time? He is. Because I just, you know, I like 80s metal. And, yeah. And uh, I, I just, you know, he's one of the few singers that the minute he sings a song, you go, that's rat. Right. Like, who's your favorite band singer? Probably Robert Plant. Yeah, I mean, that, that he's almost in that same, uh, like, you know it's Zeppelin. Sure. He sings. Or, uh, I mean, there's other bands, you know, like Steven Tyler, Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just so identifiable. Like, I don't know who the singer from Nickelback is, but I'm guessing you could have anyone sing those songs. It was, ah, oh, this is no sound. Who's this? Yeah, I think he's bankrupt. Well, they had a nice run. I mean, you know, they, yeah, they, uh, and I, I like their 80s metal roots. Like, you could tell that they were fans of that era, but they were trying to modernize, you know. I don't know how they're bankrupt. But, you know, you always get fucked on your first deal. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which was their biggest selling album. I was just one of those people, the first time I heard Zeppelin, it just kind of blew my mind. It just blew up every ounce of creativity in my mind. It made me think of everything in a different way, you know? Those stolen blues riffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to feel... <laughs> I mean, everyone's... They were like the Mencia of, of like rock. Like They just you know borrowed uh, these jazz, you know, blues riffs and, you know, a little tank there, a little tank there, and... They did find Plant, though, in a blues band, right? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I guess it depends on what your version of borrowing or stealing is, you know, parallel thinking, but, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of controversy right now in the rock world that uh, Sweet Child of Mine was stolen from an 80s Australian pop band. Wow. And if you go, I think it's like TMZ or uh, I guess any hard rock site would have it, uh, they play the songs, you know, side by side. And it's like, wow, this is the same song. Damn, I got to look that up. You wouldn't think that an 80s pop Australian band would, Guns N' Roses would, you know, you'd think they'd steal from a hard rock band or something. But isn't that the trick of stealing? Like trying to do it from something that's so kind of obscure? Well, that's what I do. So, I mean, <laughs> that's why I just joke about 80s metal and hockey, figuring yeah. no one's going to steal this. That's what's crazy about comedy is like people steal, stealing from other comedians. So that everybody sees everybody. There's videos online. Just the, like the blatant actual actual thievery of jokes is crazy I, to me. I the, mean, the I attempt had, at it is crazy to me. Well, the balls of yeah. uh, no, she's cool. She won't bite oh. you. Sorry, Lois was going right between Patrick's legs. Was, and, you know, yeah. Uh, Lois has bit two people watching UFC parties here. Oh, nice. It's uh, getting licks over here. Um, but I had <laughs> no, a joke best. of mine told at roast battle the other night, right in front of my face, <laughs> like word for word, and I didn't say anything because it was like the, the you know at roast battles, uh, you know, crazy atmosphere in there, and uh, right. But it was literally word for word. 
It's not parallel thinking. It was, and it's not the greatest joke. Right. But, you know, it's like, Jesus Christ, that's balls bigger than church bells in there. So, have you ever heard a joke of yours stolen? Like, no. Really? No. I mean, I try to, for the most part, I try to talk about things that actually happen to me. Right. You know, I feel like that makes it harder to steal anyway. Right. But it's just how I tend to talk anyway. You know, I, I try to get people on board like, listen to what I have did. I'm interesting. Please listen. Please laugh. Uh, but I don't know. That's kind of a lot of the tips I heard, you know, when I first started out too, was just, yeah, man, write stuff that only you can write. Yeah. Because then, you know, I, I think you... uh I think if you do just standard material, it's easier to steal. Right. You know, and then it's, it's also easier for people to claim parallel thinking if you're doing, uh, you know, like maybe topical news stories, you know. Although in some cases, like I'm obsessed with Asian airline pilots and <laughs> it's been a rough year for them. So it's hard for me to not make jokes about that. Or Bruce Jenner. I mean, how, how do you not make jokes about him yeah. or her? I mean... And don't you feel a lot of times in L.A., audiences really, you know, you go to like your standard L.A. bar show, they really want the kind of basic, let's talk about men and women. Let's talk about black people, white people. And that I try not to pander, but it, it's out there for the taking where you're like, man, to really uh, get people on board, then listen to your more personal stuff. I feel like sometimes it's a challenge. Well, I mean, it, and it also depends on, you know, who goes on before you. Right. You know, it's like if they're saying, like, a lot of cuss words or getting pretty raunchy. It's not impossible, but it's pretty hard to talk about your dating chunk, you know, if the comic before you is, you know, saying fuck or right. racial epithets. Or if they have the same reference as you do. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's the, the worst. worst. <laughs> Someone does, you know, yeah, like if you comic before he does a couple bruce jenner jokes it's like oh scratch those off my list you know but that's why i try and like do jokes about kiss in the 80s i mean i'm pretty sure who's ever going on before me is not going to be doing benny benson jokes (laughs) vince neal was the first celebrity i ever saw in la when i moved there man where'd you see him at a baja fresh eating a burrito in the corner that doesn't surprise me that he would be eating a burrito he's Beverly Connection. Then I saw them live. What uh, the Hard Rock in Vegas two years ago? Then how are you? Uh, what what are you a metalhead uh, to a degree? Kind of all over the place. I mean, I really was a huge, huge Zeppelin fan. I I had a big Smashing Pumpkins phase at one point. I was really into the whole jazzy rap of the early mid nineties. Uh, I used to be a jazz radio DJ, which is crazy. Uh, like jazz, like Duke Ellington. Yeah. <laughs> Count Basie. Yeah, but I. Uh, I kept getting called a loose cannon because I would play all the rock covers, like jazz musicians covering rock songs. Right, like what? Well, they would be, they would have, like Stanley Jordan had a uh, guitar version, a jazz guitar version of Stairway to Heaven. You know, and I'd play that and I'd find other songs out of the CD rack and play them and then I'd get in trouble for playing a rock block on a jazz station. <laughs> but I mean, as long as it's jazz-based, uh, uh, I would think... Yeah, but they want their format was you play one song like that an hour, right? And I would play six in a row. That's cool. I mean, <laughs> you know, I always like uh, 
hearing uh, different versions of different genres. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, you don't think jazz and rock would mesh because, right? But in some ways, they do. You know. I mean, I definitely went through that whole concert going phase of, you know, day on the green, like in the Bay Area, we had Metallica. It was Metallica, Guns N' Roses, and Body Count. You saw that? Yeah. Tor and the literally. I forget the amount of damage that was done. We were teenagers, like tore up the Oakland Coliseum in a huge grass fight. Coming home from the the concert, taking a shower, and just like feeling the mud and in, in my teeth. That was living, man. How did body count go over? <laughs> I think they were kind of a little bit of an afterthought. That was just everybody kind of walking in after getting drunk in the parking lot, waiting for this big mega final. You know, finally people were waiting for this union. What if Metallica and Guns N' Roses toured together? Then they finally did it, and everybody went nuts. I mean, I think yeah, the train went off the rails, uh, I believe, in Montreal, where, uh, what happened? Uh, I think James Hetfield burned himself. I might get the name right. It was either Hetfield or Kirk Hammond. I'm pretty oh, really? sure it was Hetfield burned himself, and they had to stop the show. Yeah. And Guns N' Roses, like they were like, hey, you guys got to go on now. Yeah, and Axel was like, "Fuck off!" And there was like a riot, and like the Guns N' Roses could have saved the show. And then I, I think uh, the tour uh, quickly after that was like, uh, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Wow. Well, it was it was a pretty awesome show for uh, for us. What's but, the best but, concert you've ever seen? Whoo! Best concert. Damn. You got me, man. I haven't seen a lot of concerts. That's the problem. Oh, really? Like, would yeah. you say you've gone to fewer or more than 100? Oh, way less. Way less. I mean, uh, that would be hard for me. I mean, like, you know, as a comic, like, I don't want to go watch comedy shows. So, like, if I have a night off, I'll go to a concert. And, yeah. You know, like, I... For me, it was like Springsteen at the Coliseum. Oh, that sounds great. Sold out five nights in a row. The Coliseum. I mean, that's like 80,000 people, maybe more. Yeah. Uh, and I'll never forget it. It was just like no warm-up act, no intermission, just like three hours. Damn. Mid-80s, so they were all, you know, firing on all cylinders. And you know, and then there's uh, Britney Fox at the Troubadour in front of 20 people. <laughs> I didn't want to leave. I felt embarrassed. Like, they would see me leave. Yeah. So, and I knew I would be in trouble because they had a black guy working the merch booth. I'm like, all right, this guy, definitely not a band guy. Where was this at? It's at the Troubadour oh, the down the Troubadour. street. Troubadour. And uh, it's like Britney Fox. It's like a 80s. They were like Diet Cinderella, uh -huh. you know. And, and I thought, oh, they don't get out here much. I'll go. And, and literally, they could have sang a song to individual people like right okay, earl you get long way to love this guy gets uh save the week <laughs> you must get uh you know bite down hard i don't know and so i go oh, yeah, i'm gonna buy a t-shirt yeah and i go and this black dude working the merch booth i'm like you're not with the band are you no brother so he morphed into hulk hogan brother <laughs> the hulkster i uh yeah, I definitely went to my fair share of Lollapaloozas. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Like that, Jane's Addiction, stuff yeah, like that. I think the Smashing Pumpkins were on that. But the, it was in a big kind of, you felt real detached from the music because it's the Shoreline Amphitheater in the Bay Area, 
which is a, a cool venue, but it's also if you're not up in it, it's just a big sound. It just feels like a big lawn party, and you're real detached from the music, you know. Right. So open air and everything. Ooh, oh, what? you know what? You know, it was a pretty good concert. It was just more the experience of it. I saw uh, in Golden Gate Park because it was such a trip. Golden Gate Park, Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder gets sick and passes out, leaves the stage. Neil Young comes on, sings the rest of Pearl Jam songs with Pearl Jam. And did he have like a teleprompter or something? I don't think so. I think he just knew the songs. I mean, he, he did his songs too, but he definitely did some Pearl Jam songs. And then I believe they also at a later date said, oh, if you want a refund, we'll give you a refund or you can go to the new concert. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw a show like that. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was you know, working uh, for Live Nation outdoor concerts and the Morrissey was playing. And uh, I'm not, you know, I just, I'm not really familiar with him. Right. She just said, come hang out. It'll be fun. Yeah. And it is fun to be backstage at any concert. It's just the whole vibe. And, uh, but he canceled last second. He got sick. So they flew in Billy Idol. Oh, wow. And, uh, I said, wow, this is going to be interesting. It's probably 20,000 gay Mexican kids. They're not going to know who Billy Idol is. And, you know, the first song was like an opening joke. They were kind of like, all right. And then by the third song, they, they loved him. Damn. Very impressive to like see an older artist. I'd like to see him because he's, he's an entertainer. He's great. You know? I mean, even if you don't, I would recommend anyone see Billy Idol. Even like he's one of those artists that like, even if you don't like him or that genre of music, you would walk away going, that guy's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Because he has a great chemistry with his guitar player. I saw some pretty good Black Crows concerts back in the day, too, and I think about it. At Shoreline? No, they were in smaller, like the Warfield, I believe. Uh, San Francisco's got some great venues. Like even Golden Gate Park, that's open air, but you really feel like you're part of the music there because there's no seats, it's a big lawn, there's trees around kind of helps the sound circulate more it's trapped into one space you know so it's right. going up into the sky uh so that was a pretty awesome place i mean music is a big part of obviously bay area history and metallica oh, yeah. is a huge part of the culture up there carlos santana you know you name it the de- were, wasn't the dead bait not based out of there but weren't they most mostly from there <laughs> yeah you know even in high school there's just a bunch of deadheads you know yeah, but I, mean, I, I never got into them you know, I did for a little while because uh, I'm a Tubes fan, mm-hmm. and I think they were from uh, the Bay Area. But their keyboard player uh, went to join uh, the Grateful Dead. Oh wow! And uh, like many of their keyboard players, he ended up killing himself. Damn! It's like the the black hole musician gig to be a keyboard player for the Dead. Like three or four have died, <laughs> and this guy committed Harry Carey. Which, uh, not the baseball. Yeah, answer, I was going to say, Cops the, uh, Yeah, Cops <laughs> um, I liked it when he would butcher the names. Like, he called, <laughs> he, he kind of said the N-word once on air because he butchered the guy's last name. He's like, Ryan Sand, like. Was it Sandberg? He's, yeah, he said, uh, like, Sand blank. I'm like, what? And Mark, I always loved it when Mark Gruzolanik, uh-huh. uh, would play against the Cubs. And I think he actually played with the Cubs for a little bit. And he he just couldn't say his name. <laughs> it was just like Mark. Wow. And he was shit-faced every game. Like, yeah. hammered. But uh, I used to want to do that, too. I, I, I worked for the San Francisco Giants, and they, they let me be the announcer at, like, special events. Really? Yeah. 
My regular job is a scoreboard operator for, for the Giants. Yeah, and the Niners. So I saw. You know what? We had all those pregame concerts like Tony Bennett, Huey Lewis in the news. They they would play before the game for like a half hour after the game. And that must have been. I mean, they're Bay Area natives. That must yeah. have been uh, huge. Uh, I mean, in some cases, people were probably coming to them, and the game was an afterthought. A little bit, yeah. I mean, you're so used to seeing Huey Lewis in the news, but people really love Tony Bennett. Up there because he's got the you know I left my heart in San Francisco song right and of course Journey is a big deal. Uh, But yeah, that that was a that was a that was that was a dream I had, man, to be a sports announcer. And what happened? You know, sometimes I feel like I have too many interests, and then you get all scattered, and you you know you find that most people that get ahead are the people that kind of concentrate on one thing. At least that's what I see. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. So at times, you know, I had to kind of taper some things down, and it was great. I did that job for five years. Uh, I was super young when I got it, and um, you know, even getting to do that, like dabble, just just to hear your voice through the stadium, like cool. Because the uh, the regular PA announcer, she is a morning radio host, so in a day game, she might be a little late. And they're like, "Oh, Patrick, make this announcement." I'm like, "Ah, oh, cool. Just make you know regular announcement about like." Check out the Coca-Cola fan lot or whatever in the uh, over the speaker. You know, when you're young, you trip out over stuff like that. Like, oh, wow, it's really cool. Did you get to say now bad in Barry Bonds? No, but I did. Uh, I did companies like companies around the stadium. You know, now batting for Panasonic, Ted in accounting. You know, like that. Kind oh, of really? Stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Now, what is a gig like that? Pay per game? Uh, that it wasn't bad. I think it was. I think I made like three, four hundred dollars a game for that. Right for right. those like special event things, it, it varied. Like you could kind of name your price depending on the company. You're like, oh, well, this is Chevrolet, you know. But because uh, I was doing the scoreboard too, but the scoreboard at the time I was getting paid, I think about two hundred a game. Now, do you get to watch the game while you're doing something like that, or are yeah. you concentrating on like stats and? No, I don't have to see. Scoreboard is just a loose term to use i didn't do anything to do with the actual score right i did like player nicknames and animations and ran ads and trivia questions and things like that uh so i totally got to watch the game my seat was at the giants ballpark behind home plate raised see the whole bay it was amazing uh so i saw right there it was a little different at candlestick when you intern you're a camera cable puller so you're on the field in an nfl game which is amazing it's also a very tough job to get the Camera cable, not to trip the cheerleaders, the other media, the players. You get to wrangle it as the cameraman runs up and down the field. Uh, so I was doing that when I was interning there, and then I became the scoreboard guy just because I, you know, knew about. Basically, they needed an intern who knew about sports, and I was the only. Everybody else was like, "I just want to be a TV director." Right. And I was like, "Oh, you know, 1984, da da da, hit 30 home runs." <laughs> like that's kind of how I got that gig. Did you ever get to go in the locker room, like in a game, like? Not locker room, but yeah, dugout and being the sidelines of an NFL game is pretty awesome. Seeing which guys really take initiative and are the leaders, and you know, get their teammates pumped up. Did was, you get to hear some good shit talking? Huh. No, but I had. Uh, th- what was hilarious to me is that when I was a scoreboard guy. Some players would call me after they're at bats. Really? <laughs> During complain. the game? Yeah, and complain. Like, hey, man, you changed that during the pitch. 
I didn't say this, but inside I'm like, no, I didn't. I did it after the pitch. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you get, you got, you got to stop doing that. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> That's what I would be doing. Hey, that error, that was a hit, right? <laughs> Bribe the guy. But that, it was, it was interesting because then it's the same players calling over and over. You know, Barry Bonds. No, hey. no, he was cool. Jeff Kent, I'll name him. Oh yeah, I heard Jeff he's kind Kent. of a dick. <laughs> That's the guy. He's like the guy when he was with the Dodgers, I think, was yeah, getting into fights with his own teammates because he was kind of a like a serious dude. Yeah, but in general, we're supposed to kind of steer clear of the players unless they you know talk to you. Uh, most of them are really cool. J.T. Snow, you know him? Remember him? Oh my God, wasn't he on the uh, on J.T. He was on the Angels, Angels, too. Yankees, I think, for a minute, and he uh, he was he was a cool guy. Uh, Niners? I didn't, I didn't really know any of the Niners. I remember seeing him around town, like in my hometown. Dwight Clark owned a car dealership. Uh, never met Montana. Damn. Steve Young? That's my guy. Never met Steve Young, but he was there. Uh, almost tripped Jerry Rice in the middle of a game with a camera cable. Did he, he get mad at you? He just looked down at me and said, you need to move that. I said, yes, I do. Was he kidding or was he being <laughs> No, he's serious, man. Because uh, uh, I could have easily tore his knee, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty cool gig. It was w- one of those things where when I moved to LA to pursue like acting and comedy, all my friends are going, are you still going to commute? I'm like, commute from LA to San Francisco? Cause they thought it was the coolest job in the world. Uh, but you know, I, I had to get out of town. I, I couldn't be there anymore. Yeah. I mean, you know, LA is a wacky town, but, and a lot of people don't think it's a good comedy town. There's not that many good rooms to do, but at the end of the day, this is where you got to come. Yeah. I, well, I feel like there's a lot better rooms now than there were a few years ago, don't you? See, I think there's less, but, huh. you know, I remember back in, in when I first started in the early 2000s, it was like, you know, you could hit a lot of good rooms in one night. It, you know, it was almost New York-like where, you, you know, New York, you could do like five or six rooms a night. Right. Most of them paid. But back in back in the early two thousands in LA, you could do two to three rooms a night, good rooms. Even the open mics were pretty good. But now I find it's, you know, the good booked rooms are pretty few and far between. Well, it's also I think there's just way more comics now, so they take up spots. And then the place I see the most concentrated re- region I see with the most rooms is the West Side, where there used to be no rooms. Now there's tons. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you are right. And I think that's one of the uh, downfalls of a show like Last Comic Stand. And, you know, it's like it gives everyone the idea that all you need is a minute or two right. of comedy. So you've got, you've got all these actors now going, oh, well, until my acting takes off, I'll just do stand-up. And, uh, you know. Yeah, or just even the average person going, oh, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, no, you can't. Yeah, I did. It's like uh, I've had a few cast members from that show Funny Girls on. Right. And, uh, you know, that show, I hate the way they show the stand-up. It's literally one joke, 15 seconds maybe. And, you know, there's people sitting on their couch going, oh, I could do that. Right. Uh, That's all you need to get on TV. And then, you know. Yeah. They don't realize that that one joke was taken from probably a 15-minute set and you know all that stuff so just the feel is so diluted now but i also feel like i see more comics than ever that i really like that nobody 
you know the general public doesn't know about. I'm like that guy's really good. Oh yeah, that's like the way I I always wish I you know, I love doing comedy too much to do something else, but I would love to be a talent coordinator at a, a club for a year or uh the the person who picks it to get on TV, yeah. on Conan or whatever because there's so many funny people I know that yeah. you'll probably never see. And I generally, you know, as a fan of comedy, I I kind of like watching comics that aren't like I am. Because to me, right. it kind of blows my mind that they're funny in a totally different way. You yeah, know? like the, I love watching Jamar Neighbors. Oh yeah, me too. Because I I love because I don't know what he's gonna say. He yeah. I love his unpredictability. Love it. And it's weird. Most yeah. of the times at the store when I have a late night spot, I follow him, and it's just I love watching him. Yeah, yeah. Just so uh, <laughs> he doesn't care. Yeah, you I know, watched like, his uh, callback for Just for Laughs the other night. How was it? It's pretty good. He uh he perked up the judges. I was watching him and the judges, and and they perked up tell you that yeah i mean yeah I, uh, yeah he's just got a great energetic personality and yeah i bought his album oh really yeah i think i was you know actually his album was filmed with my zoom recorder yeah. i think ari manis was like hey do you have a recorder we could borrow <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know i think from what i understand it was great and uh did you audition for jess for laughs no didn't pursue it either just not not your thing or yeah it's just one of those things i don't know it doesn't really cross my mind and you know a lot of times they come looking for you well they they didn't come looking for me <laughs> you know yeah yeah i mean i auditioned a few times right i got, kind of got discouraged with uh, the process i guess you'd say so yeah i didn't understand it i went to the yeah i went to those callbacks and they just to watch because I had friends in it, and just you know, it's always interesting to see, like, oh, what's this format? It's a little bit of a tense room, and I mean that just, just kind of created a think by that it's an actual, oh, this is kind of a competition, you know? Yeah, but I think it's uh, like the one year I got a callback, you know, two people on that callback bombed mm -hmm. and got it, right? So after that, I was just like, uh, all right, I, I don't, uh, I don't really get this. I'm not sure uh, how to proceed. Yeah. So, but uh, it's still good to, you know, if that's a way for people to get seen, then then do it. Oh, I would still love to do it. Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, because it's like the Super Bowl of comedy. Like, you know, if you get new faces, or I think they, I don't know if they have it this year, but they had the last couple of years uh, a show called Unwrapped. Yeah, which for guys, uh, do you have a manager? Not a stand-up one, no. I mean, it's for guys like us who right. you know, no representation and. Uh, you know, I thought, oh, that'd be cool to get, but uh, you know, because you, I mean, there's you'll never be in a position like Montreal to get up in front of almost every decision maker in the business, right? So that's pretty neat. Yeah, I'm, uh, I still might pursue it. I mean, I, I really want to do the road more. I know people are like, kind of hot and cold on how they feel about the road, but I love it. It's going to a whole other place and finding. You know, they they find uh, we get we get caught up in such. L.A. can be very L.A.-centric in what it likes. Right. And it's not. You forget. I think probably New York is like this, too. You forget that the rest of the country is 99.9% .9 of the people in America. And that yeah. you got to, you know, what they like. And that they might find something that funny that you don't get laughs on here. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, the road is just regular people. Yeah. They're not in the industry. They don't care about, you know... But they're also the people watching TV, and I think that's what the industry gets backwards. So they start 
picking up shows just because show concepts because it's like a hot thing in LA. But meanwhile, they forget that the rest of the country is the people they need to tune in for the show to be successful. Yeah, I mean, TV shows these days, I don't, I mean, it's crazy. You know, what gets canceled that's really good. And mm-hmm. then a show like Revenge is like, which is the craziest show. I've, <laughs> I mean, I watched the first three seasons every episode, and then this season I just tapped out. I'm like, this is insanity. <laughs> I mean, you know, wrestling characters from the early 80s make more sense than that fucking show. <laughs> I mean, it is, you know, uh, and uh, that's the great thing about Netflix is like, I was a big Prison Break fan. Yeah. And I, I'm re-watching that show and I thought it was insane the first time, but, you know, to watch it the second time was just like, who, I mean, how did this show last four seasons? <laughs> I mean, the first season's awesome. It's a very innovative show. Uh-huh. And they, if it's like Stallone and Rocky. If they just would have stopped after that first season, everyone would still be talking about how great that show was. And then second season, I I guess you could say you had to have it just to see where they end up after they get out. Third season, the same 10 guys end up in a Panamanian jail. I mean, it makes no It's like, <laughs> listen, I'm all about suspension of disbelief. You know, but I like a little believability. And then the fourth season was like they were all on shrooms. And like now it's like Predator 2 where they're in the city. And like, what? I mean, how much bad luck can two brothers get into? <laughs> yeah, I don't even watch stuff. Like I watch, uh, I, I watch documentary type shows like Gangland. Oh, I love those. Forensic shows. Files. I love that stuff. Gangland's great. Oh, yeah. I've watched every one, I think. On Netflix or do you have no, Netflix? No, on TV. <laughs> I mean, if if it's on, I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, there it is. Cool. I, I'm like that right now with air disasters. Hmm. You should watch that. You'll yeah. never get on a plane again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's because uh, I I don't know about. Are you afraid to fly? Or no, no. I just say I am a little bit still, even though I fly a lot. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And just because it's like. Flying to me is a mystery. Like how, yeah. how, just the, I mean, a plane weighs tons, and how it gets in the air in the first place is crazy to me, and how it stays in the air at, at a high altitude, and like, and you watch air disasters, and one missed button, one missed. There's no do overs. Like, maybe it's because I grew up. I grew up right next to an airport across the street. So I literally had planes just flying over my house. They looked like they were five feet above what? my house. Uh, kind of got used to it. Well, get into air disasters. It's great. They do like they they give you the facts about why the plane crashed, and then they reenact what was going on in the cockpit. And it's just like, you know, you will never ever get on a plane again. I'm in. Uh, Gangland makes me want to go to those places. I'm like, I think I think I could survive there. I think I could do that. Yeah. I'm going. <laughs> Detroit. Let's go. I'm good on that. <laughs> Philly. Oakland looks like the craziest one to me. I mean, I've been to Oakland, but watching it on Gangland, I feel like it's portrayed as the craziest one. I mean, I watched that one about, uh, not, not Imelda Marcos, but Griselda Blanco. She was like the cocaine queen of Miami, but then she moved to Oakland wow. to avoid, uh, you know, if you've ever seen, uh, there's several documentaries on her, and I think they touch on her briefly on Cocaine Cowboys. You ever uh, watch that? No, I know what that is, though. Oh, it's the best documentary ever. 
I love that. What was that one about uh, Pablo Escobar that ESPN? Oh, the did? two Escobars. Damn. Like the soccer player. And the That's he... good. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen a bad 30 for 30. Whew. Even if uh, like uh, Bernie and Ernie was great. Yeah. You know, because I was a huge Bernard King fan. So I had no idea of the racism and stuff that he faced in college. Right. And, uh, the, the Miami, uh, they had two, two on the University of Miami. Did you see the short? I think it was 30 for 30. It was a sh- one of the short ones they do online, and it's about. It starts out about how the high five wasn't invented till 1977. Oh, really? So you think it's gonna be this lighthearted thing, but it's actually invented by this Dodger player coming off the field high five and Dusty Baker. But the guy that did the high five, he was the first openly gay player in Major League history. And then, so the story starts changing after that, and then he gets traded to the A's because they think he'll be more accepted in the Bay Area because of Oakland. Fights with Billy Martin. He's out of baseball. Moves to the Castro. Sits on the back of the car. High fives guys all day. That's what he does. Like he just became known as the guy invented high fives. So he's gay guy sits on the back of the car. People come by and high five him. The the cops in the gay community were having all this friction at the time, and and they played it out like in their softball league. So the Castro signs this ex major league player to their gay softball team. And they start beating the cops in the softball league. Oh really? Yeah. And then but then he gets AIDS and then he died. It's crazy. The story's crazy. It just What's goes his on. Name? Oh, God. I think it's Cliff. Uh, no, Glenn Burke. Glenn Burke. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. He was a center fielder, I think. Yeah. Number six. Crazy. No, no, that was Steve Garvey. Uh, Crazy story. Well, I mean, it's funny. Back then, it, it's like if you were gay or, you know, uh, any, like now it's like totally accepted. I mean, you know, if you're good. I mean, Michael Sam wasn't like the best football player. Right. So I, I think, or Jason Collins, it was like he was kind of like a, a below average. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's the 12th I mean, man. I mean, he was okay, you know, but I, I mean, I'm waiting for like like a superstar to come out as like, I'm gay. I don't think people would care. No, nah, not like at this if point. LeBron James came out, I'm nah. gay. You know, LeBron James, who cares? Right. But, you know. And I, I asked Piper about gay wrestlers, and you know, he just said there was wasn't really something they talked about. Hmm. You know, it's like they knew, sure, because you think you know you pro- you probably won't get another sport or whatever you want to call wrestling that's more homoerotic than pro wrestling. Well, they have Darren Young now; he's gay. Is he gay in real life? Yeah, he came out like a year ago. All right, wait, which one is he? The big black dude? The guy knowing that tag team primetime players. With uh, really, yeah, crime time or prime prime time players? They're on now. Okay, really. Oh boy, he was he was part of that Nexus or whatever. And he he kind of oh, okay. Yeah, he had a high hair then, but now he's just kind of normal hair. Uh, but he came out. You know, Orlando Jordan. He's by. He was the uh, the guy who Warrior came back right, and uh, it was a pretty comeback match. Like you want to call it that. <laughs> That that match looked like NWO running to the ring at WrestleMania. Same pace. Oh, horrible, horrible. <laughs> I don't want to bore people with Sting talk again. But sting. I'm, sting, Sting. <laughs> Piper, he indulged me, but it's it's like... I saw that he titled the episode Sting, Sting, Sting. 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 And throughout the whole, right before we got into it, he kept, you know, throwing out these little, Sting, we're going to talk about Sting. <laughs> and, you know, I'm still upset, but... I saw Sting at the Apple Store, the Grove, Really? A few years ago, yeah. I would mark out if I saw. 
you think I'd want to meet Jerry Seinfeld or you know Wayne Gretzky? Right. If I met Sting, I, I I would literally not like know what to say. I uh, do. I understand. I mean, you know, I've seen tons and tons of celebrities in L.A. Obviously, it's this part of life here. But uh, I mean, I freaked the hell out when I saw my favorite basketball player from when I was a kid. Who was that? Mitch Richmond. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, he was at the uh, was it the Mondrian or something one night, and I, and I and I flipped out, man. I was like, "You're Mitch Richmond. You're my favorite basketball player of all time." He's like, "Well, thanks." I'm like, "I almost skipped eighth grade graduation to go see you, uh, get your autograph at Hillsdale Mall." And what did he say to that? He's like, "Did you go to the graduation?" I go, "Yeah." He goes, "All right, good." <laughs> did he give me an autograph? <laughs> no, I didn't ask for it at the time. I was happy to meet him. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's. It is. I think we're desensitized living in L.A. Yep. Because, I mean, you know, I'll go to the gym in a few hours. I'll see Fabio. Right. I mean, you know, I don't know. Most, I mean, he's a celebrity. Uh, I, You know, I don't want to say which gym I go to. I, I think if you listen to this podcast, you know. But, like, I'll see Randy Moss working out, which is pretty neat. But don't you think it's the things that are attached to when you're younger? Because thing is something you watched when you were a kid, right? Somebody you watched when you were a kid. Well, it's like I have to pinch myself doing a podcast with Piper. Oh, yeah. It's like, that would be amazing to me. It's like just yesterday, you know, uh, we had to do it at 10 in the morning because I think they had Gene Okerlund set to call in. And, uh, you know, he's like, you got to get there at 930. And, like, I sleep late. You know, I, I go to bed late. And so I was exhausted. And the minute I got there, it's like I was, like, instant energy. Like, fuck, that's – I'm in a room with, like, one of my favorite yeah. wrestlers of all time. Uh, I uh, do you know the '80s movie Summer School? Oh, I love that movie. So I just did a stage tribute to it because I just always wanted to do that. <laughs> and the cast came right, and uh, then I got to do the guy to play Chainsaw, Dean Cameron. Yeah, he's like, hey, I wrote this Fireman uh YouTube thing. You want to come be in with me? I'm like, yeah. So I got to be in with him, and now it's like, I, for me. I've done regular, you know, jobs of people that are like, oh, wow, you got to work with that person. I'm like, yeah, but that was fine. Like, I was fine with that. But for them, because I love the movie so much, I'm like, this is so crazy. I'm actually getting to to act with these guys. You know, to me, it's a bigger deal because they're, when I was a kid, I watched them. So it's kind of that journey of like, wow, it's crazy that I'm here now doing this with these guys. These guys are used to watch on TV rather than just somebody that, yeah, has a name or something but somebody that you actually cared about or it was a project that you cared about, like that movie. I just love that movie when I was a kid. Oh, I mean, you know? didn't you get to meet the guy who slept all through the, you know, there was yeah, a shiver? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Larry, he came to, uh, what was his name? That's got to be weird to be that dude. Like, he's in a huge movie, and then I don't know, I mean, did he, like, act again? Or? He was in Leprechaun, <laughs> or Leprechaun 2 or something. <laughs> Okay, hey, whatever, man. You know, it's more. I've you know, I've been in one movie. That's that was it. So, I don't uh, hate on uh, Larry from. Uh, and the guy uh, who was uh, Chainsaw's buddy in summer school, the blonde-haired, straggly hair. Yeah. Like, I don't recall seeing him in anything. Nah, either. I don't know where he is. And uh, I mean, I think the biggest. Well, obviously Mark Harmon, but uh, right. Courtney Thorne Smith. Right. She's, uh, Kirstie Alley. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the guy who played the kind of dicky principal, I've seen him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Things. But uh, Courtney Thorne-Smith in Summer School, I mean, 
to me, that is female perfection. Like, <laughs> big tits, blonde. She had the wetsuit on? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but, like, young and, like, just, I would have squirted in three seconds if I was inside of her. I was more into the Kirstie Alley character. Yeah, she was big yeah. until she... Uh, or, I mean, Kirstie Alley character. I was into Kirstie Alley. Ballooned yeah. up, you know, like, Weight Watcher style. You know, she looks a little rough. Like, she looks like a fat version of the singer from Cinderella now. <laughs> Are you Cinderella fan too? Uh, I had the great drummer, Steady Freddie Corey on, uh, <laughs> you know, I, he came up to me once at Pavilions. And, uh, it's a supermarket in L.A. And uh, this is when I had long hair. And he, he thought I was a, a guitar player from Def Leppard. <laughs> Vivian Campbell. So uh, Nice. I'm like, hey, man, uh, you have the greatest quote ever in music history. And he looks at me kind of weird. Like, what, what did I say? I'm like, when they asked you what your career goals were, and you just said, I want to be good enough to play on the albums. It's like, wait a minute. If you're not playing on the albums, who is? You're on the, you're on the cover, you know? <laughs> so I guess he was like, he had more of the look, and they would just bring in a studio guy. Uh, right to uh, do the parts but he's actually like a drummer uh, but Kiss did the same thing but that's kind of ruined that was like finding out wrestling's fake yeah like, what do you mean you know uh, Ace Freely's not on this album his picture's on the album and so the less I know the better yeah I think that's true with a lot of things man I mean you, you know what do you mean Gene Simmons didn't play bass in the 80s on any Kiss album <laughs> he's on every fucking album he's the guy with the tongue yeah, they had some black dude, John Beauvoir, you know. That's a guy you used to see at the gym, Gene Simmons. Oh, really? Yeah. Which what gym? Let's out there. Barry's Boot Camp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it, he does have to be in decent shape to... Right. I mean, he's probably wearing 50 pounds of, of whatever that shit is he wears on stage. And, you know, I mean, I see his kid at the gym all the time. Oh, yeah? It's frightening how much he looks like him. I mean, it's like Gene Simmons is a 22-year-old or however old Have you is. seen Sinatra Jr. today? I wouldn't know who he is. Looks exactly like Frank Sinatra. Oh, does he sing too? Or Yeah, he did. He put out albums in the past, but now he looks like his dad when his dad was, you know, 60-something or whatever. Uh, spitting image. I like to uh, listen to Robert Davi sing Sinatra. Oh, yeah. He's saying. <laughs> That's right. He put out some albums. It's pretty good, you know, if you can, like, you know, get past this Robert Davi. I mean. I, I was hired to write uh, jokes of a roast of him last year. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I would have loved to have been in on that. Just the, the skin care. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember any of them, but I have them on a file on my computer somewhere. Oh, I would. Who was roasting him? Just like a Friars Club type? It was a thing back east. It was uh, associated with a film festival. Oh my God! Well, yeah. I'd love to have been on the Robert Davi roast. I mean, just like the skincare jokes would be like out of control. <laughs> but you know, that's weird. You think a guy who has that, you know, I guess not acne, but like uh, it's like scarring from like maybe acting uh, or acting. Acti acting, yeah, scars. Guy, probably does have scars <laughs> from acting. It's probably has scars, permanent ones from showgirls. <laughs> Which I think he uttered one of the greatest lines in movie history when uh, Elizabeth Berkeley comes back to the strip club after she's a big bro uh, 
Vegas showgirl, and he's like, what's it feel like to dance and not have a guy come on you? <laughs> See you later, kid. I, uh, I've done a lot of random, random ass shit, man. And, uh, a couple of years ago, somebody put on like a stage production of showgirls, but with drag queens all playing the strippers. And I actually played the Robert Davi character. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see that. The, they were talented. The the showgirls, the oh, drag yeah. queens. I mean, they were good. They were the top ones. You know, like if you see, like there's a guy named Willem Belly and he, uh, Belly, whatever. He, um, I mean, he's just a good actor. Like I saw him on Nip Tuck and we played the, you know, the, the transvestite uh, girlfriend of the one of the main characters and it's, crazy storyline and he's amazing on it. he's a super talented guy you know oh nip talk was you know that that show was along the lines of prison break was <laughs> starting to get a little like all right that cliffhanger the one season where they had the mystery killer uh-huh. who wore the mask and and I think it might have been the end of season one or it was the end of season two where they just show Julian McMahon get pulled to the edge of the bed, flipped over, and he gets fucked in the ass. And I was like, wow, this is good writing. <laughs> I mean, I thought Norman Lear and all in the family had some good lines, but this is this is the cliffhanger. Who fucked him in the ass? Turn in next season. It was the end of the season? Wow. Yeah, it was like, but it, I'm telling you, as crazy as that sounds, it worked because <laughs> I was like, I got to know who did that. And it was a great yeah. storyline. It was the good looking. So- did you watch the show? I just saw that a couple of storylines. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they brought in a third surgeon because the workload was uh-huh. too much. He was a really super good looking dude. And he was a serial killer. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's just like they had some good, like, you know, I, I wish. But, you know, with a show like Nip Tuck, it's kind of hard after... It's like Miami Vice. There's only so many Cuban drug lords you can go after. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's only so many serial killers whose finishers to put it in your ass. <laughs> so where do you go from there? I mean, you're almost... The storyline was so good. It's like... It's like 24. It's like, where do you... The, the bad guy in season four was so good that anyone after him was like, man... It's got to cancel the show after that. Well, they didn't. They kept going go. six seasons later. I mean, <laughs> to me, it jumped the shark when Kiefer Sutherland got arrested in real life for DUI. And he had to spend like 48 days in jail, which is like 50 seasons. Like, <laughs> you know. Do you have a guilty pleasure show? Oh, man. It's probably some reality thing. Uh, oh, here it is. Wait, I don't really watch that anymore, though. For a while, though. For a while, I would still watch The Real World. Yeah, I, I tuned out of that. I think <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. after the the dude, the season with the guy from AIDS, uh, the guy from, the guy from AIDS, uh, the guy from AIDS, the guy who died of AIDS, Pedro. Pedro that was the San Francisco season. That was, I think after that, I was like, all right, you're not going to top that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, once the things about the shows like that is once people become aware that they're on camera, now they're just playing for the cameras. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I watched Jersey Shore though. That was pretty. Uh, I watched a little bit of that. And uh, I'm I'm obsessed with Big Brother. Oh, yeah. really? Did you watch that show? Or no. Uh, no. My friend won the first season though. Eddie McGee, one leg. He goes. He he wants people to call him one legged Eddie. He's hilarious. He won the first season of American American Big, Big Brother? Brother. Yeah. Oh wow! I didn't. Uh, 
I might have tuned in like I think I got into it like the third or fourth season. It's like this show's great. Yeah. And it's on three times a week. Like, you'd think they would burn out. Like, you know, with any show, like Guilty Pleasure Show, you know, 24, Prison. Maybe 24 is different, but, you know, okay, once a week is enough. But right. Big Brothers, not only do they do three shows a week, on primetime CBS, they have Big Brother After Dark, which is like, you can just watch the live feed when nothing happens. <laughs> you watch it? Oh, absolutely. I, I <laughs> Like, that's how, like big that show is is that people will tune in to watch like when they're just sleeping like there's nothing going on damn so uh i want to do a show about 20 lazy black guys or big brothers have you pitched that to anybody well uh, no but i'm sure spike tv would think about it spike tv they do put out a lot of uh suspect uh material do you pit do you have you ever pitched shows before no when i first came to town i got I was in this uh, kind of pitch contest through, uh, you know, Robert Townsend. Oh, Hollywood Shuffle, dude. Yeah, and uh, me and my roommate came in first place, but then they didn't have him. It fell through. <laughs> well, it was a movie. To Hollywood, baby. But I never actually got to go into a pitch meeting, you know? Right, no, I mean, it's... I don't know those kind of connections, Earl, do you? If I did, uh, I I wouldn't be on this couch right now interviewing you. What's the, if, if I may ask, what is this, I always hear this thing in kind of passing, but what is the connection between you and the Kennedys? Uh, my aunt is Ethel Kennedy. And she is? She was married to Bobby Kennedy. Okay. Uh, the second uh, Kennedy brother in 68 who was assassinated by Sirhan Sirhan uh-huh. at the uh, Ambassador Hotel. Yes. Uh, downtown LA. Yep. Which I think is still there in some capacity. I believe so. I think they were trying to turn it into a school or something. Huh. Uh, but it, uh, or maybe they did. You know, I'm, you know, I can tell you who the fourth base player was in Dawkins, but I, I can't tell you if the Ambassador Hotel is like, <laughs> you know, still standing. But, uh, you know, th there's all kinds of uh, documentaries on that assassination. You know, the JFK one gets a lot. Right. Uh, but I, uh, the, RFK assassination is almost as interesting, you know, because it's, uh, you know, I'm not a big conspiracy guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I think 9-11 pretty much happened. Did you see the movie Bobby? I did not. I've seen documentaries, but mm -hmm. I've never, uh, I, I don't like watching the movies because mm -hmm. I don't like when Oliver Stone like takes creative license with historical facts. Sure. It's like, you know, uh, I, I like to documentaries I like just because it's pretty much here's what happened you can believe it or not you know yeah but you know there's some that are wacky like the one loose change which is about 9-11 oh yeah yeah like you kind of like that's probably the only one that's going okay maybe it was a conspiracy maybe Bush and Cheney you know maybe they did blow up building seven uh, you know and then at toward the end he's like I have proof that Nine out of the 19 hijackers are still alive. And it's like, okay, you just lost me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you had me. <laughs> you got me thinking it's possible. And then when you hit me with that one, and I got the last two hours have just been ruined by, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. I mean, are you a big conspiracy guy? No. Yeah, I, I don't even let my mind really enter that because I feel like it's just going to be a bunch of time I'm going to be spending thinking about something that 
is, is, you know, if you're going around shouting to the masses about this thing that may or may have possibly happened, may not possibly happen, you know, what are you doing with your time? That's the way I look at it. Well, I think it depends on how entertaining they are. Like Alex Jones, uh, you ever watch him? He's a radio show too. Right? Radio show yeah. guy. He a uh, big conspiracy guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, secret police and Bohemian Grove and the Illuminati yeah. and you know Skull and Bones and you know every you know the MH370, the missing Malaysian airline plane. Yep. You know, it was flown to a secret base, and you know, it's like craziness. And like 9 11 inside job, and it, it's like, okay, if 9 11, you know, the uh, military planes were flown into the tower in Pentagon, it's like, well, what happened to all those people on the four planes then? Like, you know, they've been held fucking captive for 14 years, and you know, right? Yeah, I got enough to worry about in my own life that I could. <laughs> Yeah, I don't give a shit. It's a military. I'm not going to be the guy crusading against uh, some sort of conspiracy. I'm just trying not to bomb in an open mic tonight. You know exactly. I don't really care. If it's the, world issues. Is know, my is my eight minute set going to hit? Yeah, can I get it? laughs? And you know, do chicks in the crowd think I'm hot? <laughs> yeah, am I going to get my dangling played with because I had a good closer? So, you know, you're right. There. You know, I got to stop worrying. That's one of the things, I don't know about you, that I have to stop doing is worrying about other comics, uh, conspiracy theories. Just worry about yourself. Yeah, there's conspiracy theories in comedy. Well, give me one. No, I'm just saying. It's like all about, everybody creates things in their own mind. Like, I think this person is just holding me back. I think this person <laughs> doesn't like me. Or, I mean, sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not. But those are almost little conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah, yeah. I agree with you there. I mean, I, you know, this comic's out to get me. This. Yep. You know, I mean, I could say the previous talent coordinator at the comedy store was legitimately out to get me, which I will never understand. I've done several podcasts on this gentleman, and, uh, you know, he's now uh, running an open mic right down the street from the comedy store, so. He is? Yeah. I didn't know that. Which is really fucking sad. Like, wow. Here this guy was, what, probably, you might say, and I don't know if this is a stretch or not, the most was the most powerful guy in LA comedy. I mean, he he was the gatekeeper, and you know, the comedy store. I think to comics holds a certain allure. Uh-huh. Like I want to be in at the Improv and Laugh Factory too, but right. You know, to me anyway, it was always the comedy store. That's what I wanted. Yep. Because I think it just fits my sense of humor the best. And uh, you know, this guy. It had to be pretty special to know that hundreds of people felt like me and were all kissing your ass to get get in. And, you know, he, you know, for 10 years was the power guy in L.A. And now he's playing guitar at an open mic. Wow. Yeah. Suck it. I've had my interactions with him. Everyone did. Yep. And what, well, like, what did he, uh, what were your interactions like with him? Well, my first ever interaction was I went to an open mic. This is like 2007 or 8, the Sunday night one. Yeah. And uh, he goes, uh, you know, I was just doing the thing, like introducing myself to him, right? Well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm Patrick. You know, nice to meet you. And he's like, oh, hey. Uh, he probably impersonated better than me. But he's like, well, okay. I He goes, I didn't watch your set. I was outside. But here's what you need to work on. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. He's never seen me. He he didn't watch my set. He, he was outside, but he's got notes, right? And then I, you know, called a, a comic who was pretty established at the time, and he's like, yeah, don't listen to him. <laughs> I know. It, it's insane to me. It, it's like uh, he once said to me, great set or all. I'm like, Tommy, I haven't even gone on yet. <laughs> exactly. It's like the same story. It's like, <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> so, I mean, you know. But uh, but a- Adam seems to be running things pretty well, right? I think Adam's doing a great job. And People may say, well, that you're just saying that because he passed you or you're friends with him, uh-huh. which is true. But uh, I, I think he's doing what Tommy should have been doing. You know, getting big names in there. You sure. Know, the Rob Schneiders, the David Spades, the... Craig Fitzsimmons, uh, Tom Papa, mm-hmm. Hannibal Burris. Yeah, uh, some last night. Yeah, I mean he's yeah. great. And like Tommy said, Louis C.K. is only a writer. <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I think that pretty much tells you about the talent coordinator's talent picking abilities. <laughs> that the biggest comic in the world is only a writer. Well, he's so, half right. He said the well, only, he is a writer. The he, only part is the yeah. yeah. Uh, so and he, of course he did his comedy store. Uh, he did a special at the comedy store, which I think is coming out May twenty eighth. And uh, that's right. Like, uh, if you've been to the store lately, most rooms are packed. Yep. And uh, that certainly wasn't the case with the good old Tom Bone. Um, I'm working on a new character. Thanks to Danish and O'Neill, to uh, legendary uh, LA comic, uh, LA comedy store comics, and Dikembe Matambo. It's a black version of Tommy. Dikembe Matambo. Matambo, not oh, Matambo. Matambo. Well, it's not just that. It's in progress. It's in progress. To you people who aren't comics in the LA scene, you probably. That last five minutes of the podcast just went right over your head, but you know. it matters to us. Yeah, I mean, me and Patrick are true grinders in the business. We're just two guys trying to make it, and uh, you know, we're two wrestling fans. And uh, you know, it's funny that a lot of comics like pro wrestling. Yeah, there's some uh, parallels. I I told Piper that. I mean, outside mm-hmm. of the physical activity, the gym. That, that you know, it, it's. I think it's the same mental toll on you. It's mm-hmm. the travel. If if you do the road, you know, it's similar. I saw last night on a flyer on a bar show in the valley. Talk about obscure. Above average, Mike Sanders from WCW performed. That's Stand up. wow. That's crazy. <laughs> well, I know uh, Dolph Ziggler and his brother. Uh, when they when Dolph's in town, him and uh, Ryan Nemeth, his brother, uh, they do uh, a show at the I.O. West. It's more improv yeah, yeah. and stand-up and John Morrison. Yeah. Or uh, you Lucha Libre fans might know him better as Johnny Mundo. That's right. Uh, yeah, he's around. Yeah, he's around. He actually did roast battle with me. We right. battled. I love Ziggler. Ziggler's great. That will be my next roast battle uh, contestant. Nice. When he's in town. And he's uh, been with a few female comics, so it's Yeah, that's that's not that's uh 
I think they openly talk about it on stage, right? Or on. Uh, I think on certain. Amy podcasts. Schumer for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Amy Schumer and uh, I won't mention the other names, but uh, you know. Uh, uh, We're not gonna name Dolph Ziggler's. Uh, I'm not gonna name list of. <laughs> yeah, list of female common conquests, but uh, I will if we ever roast each other. Oh, there you go. Which I have a feeling we will. Nice. So, uh, but John Morrison was great. You know. Yeah. You ever see his? You ever see his workout videos? No. Oh my God! He does parkour. Oh yeah. So it's like literally climbing buildings and like with no like, <laughs> like with his bare hands. Like there's no suction cups or anything. Right. Like he's like, you, you know, it's, it's you know I thought I was in pretty good shape. Like I saw him once at the gym doing these like wacky like dumbbell things you know dumbbell raises like in a rotating fashion with 30 pounds and you know when he left i'm like oh i, I could do that <laughs> so i took the 30 pound dumbbell and literally almost blew out my shoulder and like the first like i couldn't do one and he had yeah. done like 10 minutes of them so well you got to be an amazing athlete to do the kind of wrestling they do now yeah it's more high flyer and then mm -hmm. like uh, lucha libre style uh, although i think uh you, know, you still have guys like ryback and uh, but even those guys, it used to be, you know, guys like smoking a cigarette, swigging a beer, Dick Murdoch going to the ring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Dusty Rhodes. Although right. I, I think he was a kind of sneaky, fast, sneaky, strong in a way. Yeah, even though his, uh, his physique didn't tell you that. But Dusty was an athlete. Well, same thing with uh, Adrian Adonis. Oh, yeah. If you, uh, like, you know, most of the fans today or you know the younger fans just kind of remember him as uh the dude from the flower shop right you know being pretty chubby and but he was in great shape but, yeah uh, you know or, or a guy like kamala you know he was in pretty good shape even though he was kind of chubby no legs now but i mean did you see that kamala said he says he used to carry a gun in the ring he had a gun in his tights yeah with andre the giant <laughs> he's afraid of andre I guess the story goes that uh, they were wrestling in the ring once and, and they actually started to hit each other. And, yep. and uh, you know, uh, Kamala like hit him hard. Mm -hmm. Basically saying, hey, I'll stand up to you. And they got into it in the locker room. Kamala pulled out a gun on him and said, hey, motherfucker, I don't give a shit how big you are. And uh, ever since then, he and he, there's a video on YouTube, if you could find it, where he shows the the shorts and that little secret, you know, pouch oh, where the gun. Oh, really? Because yeah, I, yeah. I was questioning that if that's true. Oh no, I mean, uh, <laughs> no. He he. Uh, there was like a little patch where the crotch area would be, uh, like a, almost a pouch, like a kangaroo type pouch. Right. And uh, to me, that that shows you how crazy they were back then. Like, you got a live gun. Like, if he splashes you, the gun's gonna blow your fucking dick off. Yep. Uh, but now his legs are blown off due to diabetes. Have you heard that song, Push It? Push It? Yeah, by Kamala. <laughs> oh, you have to. I got Piper into this. It's a, basically a, a three, four-minute shoot song on just, you know, like, you know, the shenanigans that were going on back then. Like, he talks about Pat Patterson fucking the Brooklyn Brawler and... <laughs> In the hotel room next door to him, and it's got it's kind of got a catchy beat, like it's got like a, 
a slight Jamaican like you know Rasta beat to it. And he's like, in the Brooklyn baller was screaming all night. Pat Patterson was in him all night. And it's Jesus. like you got to kind of pay attention to what he's like because he's not like saying they actually fucked, but he's like you know doing like these innuendos right and, you know vince mcmahon said i'm gonna do you one night <laughs> it's like what does that mean <laughs> you know i love how you just threw that out there like it was a known pop song have you heard push it oh it's I'm, great i'm thinking like salt and pepper no like, you know by kamala you know the ugandan giant <laughs> yeah I mean, and then and it got so big there's a push it too but it didn't quite have the the panache of push it and they went to the well too often Come on, Kamala. You got to get a better music producer. Well, he's got to worry about his legs right now. He's, <laughs> I'm sure the quality of his music videos is not uh, high up on his list. But you have to. Uh, there's like a half hour interview video of him. That's it's kind of sad, but he he tells the story about Andre the Giant, and, right? And uh, it's, it speaks in this really bizarre accent because he's not actually from Uganda. Right. He's from like South Carolina. So he's like, yeah, and I told Andre the Giant he better start thinking. I was like, uh, what is thinking? Uh, I know what thinking means. but Yeah, he was a creation of uh, Jerry Lawler, right? Yeah, what? like some bizarre racist, like, hey, I got a great idea for you, you know. Like, he was a legitimate wrestler. Like, right. You know, if you look at like, uh, you know, early, early, you know, promo pictures of him, he, he Kind of looked like a black Jerry Lawler, you know, the singlet, and, huh. you know, um, like a junkyard dog type of, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. normal dude. And uh, I think, you know, back then in the South, I'm sure it was a great idea. Hey, I got a great idea. We're, we're going to put you out there as some savage black dude. Can't speak English. He's just an animal. It'll, <laughs> it'll do big business. And it did. Right. It's like junkie. I mean, Junkyard Dog is my favorite. Pretty much my favorite of all time. But he, that character is just like. But I didn't think of that at the time when I was younger. I didn't think of any sort of racial implications with his character at all. I just thought he was so entertaining. He had charisma. He danced. I didn't think of like, oh, he has a chain on his neck. I never thought of that as a kid. You know. I mean, we were kids. Yeah. You know, I I never did either. But now I look back and go, Jesus Christ, this guy was. Fucking told to come to the ring, get in the ring, run around on all fours, bark like a dog with a dog collar on. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Kamala, savage animal, you know, so dumb he couldn't talk. Uh, you know, Slick, the jive-talking pimp. Right. You know, Hakeem, the, the, basically playing a, the world's largest wigger. You know, you know, my brothers. <laughs> you know. They, uh, they, yeah. I mean, Virgil, uh, you know, Tito Santana playing like the typical Mexican. Like, yeah. You know, you, you can't. I mean, I know that the only I think the last racial character the WWE tried to do was that uh, Al Qaeda. <laughs> I think his name is Muhammad. Hassan. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. A few years ago. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember he was at the WrestleMania I was at uh-huh. in Staples Center where he beat the shit out of Eugene. Which was another great character, <laughs> basically a, mentally challenged. Eric Bischoff's, you know, Down syndrome cousin, <laughs> who was a great wrestler. I think his name was Nick Dinsmore. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but you know, and that's a, you know, kind of like the the shitty thing is like 
he was a lot like those some of those 80s metal guitar players like who were great guitar players you know mm -hmm. cc deville from poison classically trained but i'm sure at one point it was like all right Playing this good shit's not paying my bills. I'm gonna dye my hair pink and right. or blonde and play a pink guitar and he's a multimillionaire. You know, I'm sure in Eugene's case it was like, Hey, I'm a great wrestler and uh, I ain't making any money. I'm gonna play a fucking kid with Down syndrome. Like with retard strength. I'm sure he's got uh <laughs> I'm sure he made his money too. I hope he saved it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another guy. It's like it's, that was a tough character, though. You know, it's like such a one-trick pony. It's like I, there's no way I think you can rehabilitate that character. Like, hey, this isn't a retard anymore. It's just it's uh, you know, he's one of Bray Wyatt's cousins. <laughs> They've been known to repackage things, though. Just bring him back, not even address it. Yeah, but that's kind of a tough one to like, because he was so good at playing a, like a mentally challenged person. I don't know how you could have him like all of a sudden, unless you got like electric shock therapy and was cured. They, do you remember the electric shock match in, in WCW with the was shock it a, master? No, no, they had a. It was a match where they electric shocked. I think it was Abdullah the Butcher. Oh my, yeah, <laughs> they cooked him. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean that's a. <laughs> Abdullah the Butcher. Like. He's another one. He was uh he's still in this scandal where the other guy's wrestler was saying he gave him hepatitis. Was it hepatitis? Yeah, well, because he, he I mean, you know, I mean he's a pretty unhealthy guy. They they swap blood during a match, he's saying. Well, he was a notorious for uh yeah. blading. And if you look at pictures of him now, oh, his yeah. forehead is cool. like they say he can fit a quarter I'm sure. into the ridges on his forehead. Yep. And, uh, you know, and and if you're ever in the Atlanta area, I I believe the restaurant is still in operation, uh, Abdullah's Ribs, where he like is. You can go in and see him behind the counter. Wow! Like he, cooking. He's cooking. <laughs> like I don't know if I would really want. Do Do you want a guy who possibly has hepatitis? Yeah. <laughs> sweating because he's that was his thing. It was like he was so fucking fat and out of shape. He had backside and front tits. That he would sweat like like uh, thirty seconds into the match, he's dripped, right? Drenched, not dripped. Both. Yeah, but probably both. But would you want to go? Uh, you know, I've never worked in a restaurant like in the back. I'm assuming the grill. I have. I, I'm assuming. Well, you tell me. The grill's pretty hot. Yeah. Like if you're cooking burgers, ribs, uh huh. You know, chicken. So I'm assuming Abdullah the butcher would sweat pretty easily over the food. Yes, and his body would be hanging over the food. Oh my god, his, <laughs> his big fucking gut! And it's crazy that like, you know, he's alive, but like, you know, the Ultimate Warrior's dead. Like, Mister Workout, man. You know. Yeah, you, you know, you can't. It's like the whole uh, Keith Richards theory, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like so bizarre. Like, who lives? Who dies? You know, George Burns lived to 102. He never worked out a day in his life, smoked cigars and cigarettes every day, drank Coke. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, you know, and then some of these wrestlers who are like Mr. Workouts and, you know, Chris Benoit, you know. I mean, that's a whole different animal. But, yeah. I mean, at least we know his finishing move worked. I mean, it's... <laughs> Can I ask you a question about that whole thing? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, you're a wrestling fan. Yes. You're... you're I think you and I are what we call marks in the business. We, uh -huh. You know, we're like educated fans. 
and this is the one thing that's always bothered me about the Chris Benoit uh, whole thing is that where was the kids' tag team partner? I mean, shouldn't someone come in for the save? Or is that too much? Can you imagine if it was like a real life match and someone jumped in off the crib to save him? You know, Sting came, dropped down from the ceiling fan and put him in the death drop. I thought you were going to ask me about if he should be, if he should be in the Hall of Fame or not. I'd love to see who inducts him there. But well, you can't. I mean, I don't, know. I mean, I don't I, think that's going to happen. I don't think it should happen. I mean, you know, it's uh, yeah. I, I'm guessing, but you know, I, I tell you what, never say never. I mean, you know, Medusa was. Uh, inducted this year right and she was famous for dumping the uh the women's belt. title but yeah that's not killing your whole family that'd no. be crazy though if he got in imagine the crowd for that and uh, inducting ah. chris benoit into the hall of fame uh the big boss man because well, he's dead he's not gonna you know i don't think it's gonna happen i'm surprised that they haven't worked it into an angle though like you know, nothing's off limits in wrestling. Nothing surprises me. Yeah, but they're coming down pretty hardcore. I mean, now they are. But, I mean, once again, you know, back as kids, like, what was it when Kurt Angle was going to ECW? You know, they they fly him in there. And, you know, he's like, oh, this is kind of, this is different than WWE. And then uh, it was that one night that, uh, was it Raven crucified the Sandman? Oh, that's right. Like, and they hung him up on the cross. Yep. And Kurt Angle's like a pretty Christian dude. He's like, ah, oh, I don't think this place is for me. Yeah. Well, they did that too. Undertaker did that with Stephanie, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, it's just like, what the fuck? I mean, do you think there was ever an angle that was too much? Like, wow, this is like as a fan. Like, I asked Piper, like, Ooh, did you and the boys in the back ever think a character like Slick or, you know, uh, Muhammad Hassan was like, Okay, well, this is crossing the line. As a fan, did you ever go, this might be too much? Well, that one that they did get a lot of heat for, you know, where Steve Austin went into Brian Pillman's house. Oh, right. And you were like, the did, gun. He just, did he just shoot him? It, whether it's a story or not, you're like, and then I think they, they cut and they went to, you know, catch us next week. I think it was like the cliff, it was like a cliffhanger. That was pretty crazy. I couldn't believe they did that. Like, well, that was, I think, in the the right as the Monday Night Wars were starting to right. amp up. So it was like, you know, I think WCW was giving away. They were live, but Raw was taped, so they would give away the results of Raw. Right. <laughs> hey, if you want to tune in to see fucking Cactus Jack win yeah. a shitty title, uh, tune in now. And it it actually worked against him because people did go over and watch that match. Right. So. Uh, I think it's also the way they make it look. The fact that it looked like he was entering Pillman's real house with his real family is a whole other thing. You know, just like they had, uh, it was a little weird sometimes when DDP was stalking Undertaker's wife. Yeah, like that those got creepy. Storylines, you know. And then I think there was someone stalking DDP's wife, Kimberly. Oh, she was one of the Nitro girls. There was yep. some angle uh, where it was like, got weird i want to say scott steiner but that's just because right. he threatened hulk hogan's wife recently at the airport oh yeah uh, at, uh wrestlemania weekend i mean yeah i mean i think kids today it's such a sanitized product like we were lucky like 
We got to see some great angles. Billy and Chuck's gay wedding. <laughs> I mean, that might have been the last great swerve to me. And, like, you know, Eric Bischoff is the minister. Oh, that's right. Great makeup job. I mean, he looked like... He was the old guy. <laughs> yeah, and, and like he's... Like his left hand shaking, like he has Parkinson's. <laughs> Eric Bischoff, good actor. Who who knew? He really, but I mean, that's like and Bischoff's old school. Like he's, you know, grew up, you know, under the tutelage of Jim Cornette and the Crockett's, you know, promotion. So he like, he was like the last guy who I think like sold it. Like, okay, I'm gonna play a 90 year old minister at a gay wedding, <laughs> you know, and like that Rico as the gay wedding planner was just I, I always when i'm down and have a bad set or a girl breaks my heart i watch there's a 15 minute <laughs> you watch the billy and chuck gay wedding it is the fucking funniest thing you know and and like the homophobic stuff they were saying like billy gunn well i'm not gay i mean i got no problem with gay people but if i was gay i wouldn't marry you chuck <laughs> it's like what is that supposed to help this angle? And <laughs> and then Umaga comes out, you know, because at the time yeah. it was Rosie and Jamal. And, uh, like, does his finishing move on Stephanie, which had to hurt. I mean. Yeah. You know. And, and then Rico. He died, too. Young. Yeah, he died. And then I'm not sure what happened to the other guy. Three-minute warning. That was the cue. That was the great cue of that segment. You know, the yeah. their tag team was called Three-Minute Warning. So Bischoff is, you know, as the segment's coming to an end, he's like, a marriage lasts for 57 years, five hours, or three minutes. And then he just drops the Bible. Wait a minute. <laughs> Did I just hear myself say... Three minutes, and then the crowd finally like wrestling fans are pretty smart, right? You know, in terms of okay, that's so and so in disguise. No one knew it was Bischoff, and so he starts peeling off his face. Yep. And the crowd just goes nuts, and like you know, that's like the last swerve, you know, other than Sting's match at WrestleMania when all those old relics came out to ruin the match. Wasn't a fan. Well, I could, uh, if they would have cut out the DX and NWO and just had Shawn Michaels deliver the super kick, to my, like I told Piper, I, to my knowledge, that was the only time those three have ever been in the ring together. Yeah, must have been. You no, know, because I don't think Triple H and Sting ever were, uh, I mean, they were in WCW at the same time, but I don't think that they ever had a. No, he wasn't there that long, Triple H. Yeah. And I don't think uh, he and Shawn Michaels would have ever, unless, uh, uh, you know, when Sting went full on Reborn Christian and did that tour with Ted DiBiase. That's right. Uh, but I don't think Michaels was involved. So I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah. But then it was just, you know, I don't want to bore people with Sting talk again. <laughs> it still fucking bothers me, man. <laughs> yeah, they really botched that one, man. But it's just, there's no way, you know, we're talking about rehabilitating. Uh, you know, characters, like, it's like, you know, he'll now be, if you bring him back, I mean, he's going to fight The Undertaker at WrestleMania 32. You have to have him, I think, in another match to get him a win before yeah. he loses to The Undertaker. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. The yeah. match? Yeah, him and Undertaker. 
I mean, if it's going to, it's going to be at, at, at Undertaker's home. Yeah, in Dallas retirement match. And, you know, Sting is, I think he's from there. Uh, or either he lives there now or he, he has some affiliation with Texas. I know he grew up in, you know, with Warrior in Venice, and that's where he started. Right. But uh, but they were in world class together, weren't they? I don't think Sting was ever in world class. Or was that Memphis? Well, they broke up pretty fast. I know they started off, there was this thing out here, I think it was called the Power Power Team USA, and there okay. was four of them, Sting, Warrior, and two other guys. And uh, as uh, I think uh, legend has it, Sting says he got a call from a promoter, said, I want the two guys on the right, which was Sting and Warrior. <laughs> so then they just took off to uh, somewhere in the south. Yep. And uh, they didn't stick around that long together because according to Sting, Warrior was more business, like, I want this, this, that. And right. Sting was like, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> you know, I mean. Yeah, I remember him as the Ningo Warrior. That's the first time I saw him. Yeah, I think that's AWA. Yeah, no, is, I think it was Texas. But that's in the AWA, Texas? No. They were a subsidiary of the NWA because Flair would come to town and defend the title. That's when Kerry Von Erich won the title from him. The Von Erichs. I mean, there's another, like, yep. you know. Kerry uh, Von Erich was champion for 16 days. Flair uh, won it back. That's, I mean, that's, uh, what a, I mean, that, that's a whole nother podcast is the Von Erich history. Three brothers. Mm -hmm. So three committed suicide? Or died in some freak accident. I don't know if they're all suicides, but they were all, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's like, uh, I mean, have you. I mean, I've probably known about 10 comics who killed themselves or died. Do you know? Uh, uh, I think just two or three. Was, uh, who Do you remember who they were? Well, most recently, uh, there was a guy. He ran shows in the Valley. Oh, yeah. Uh, a cool guy. Man. Uh, I did his room like uh, Jake. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, I was crazy. He seemed like that's the crazy thing about like. Right. The mental toll of this business is, uh, like, he seemed great the night I met him. Yeah, it's a trip. I, I mean, I do. I honestly do consciously try to pay more attention now. I was hanging out at the Improv last night, and you know, I ran into somebody who was kind of, like, I think, genuinely down. I'm like, "You're right, man." You know what I mean? Like, really, right. not kind of skate over anymore. We're like, really kind of check in with somebody because you just don't know. Yeah. No. I mean. uh uh, I knew that comic Will, uh, I want to say Arndt, uh, might be off on his last name. Uh, he had he had like that. I, I don't know if it was a disease, but like his where his right hand was, uh, was huge. Yeah. Like almost, I want to say like Elephant Man, like that that like type of like disfigurement right. of the hand. And he he killed himself a couple of years ago, and but he always seemed like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm in a good place and. You know, I mean, do you ever get depressed in this? Not like suicidal, but like yeah, I mean, it, I, I get more frustrated than anything, but I think definitely when I was younger, I got more depressed. But uh, now I just try to keep going because I, I feel like if you just keep going, you never know when the door is going to open anyway. So to try to plan it out in some way you think is going to happen never seems to work out for me. So I just kind of. Just keep going. And, you know, anything good that's come to me has happened in a way I didn't see it coming anyway. Right. So, like, I'm not going to get upset 
or try not to get upset or depressed or frustrated over something that I put a lot of stock into. Like, oh, if that would have worked out, because you don't know, you know. Yeah, I mean that's like I've had a lot of close. I mean, everybody's got those stories, right? Like Hollywood, close calls, close calls. But this it seems like destiny lined everything up, and then you were the second choice, or you didn't get it, or whatever it was, you know. Yeah, welcome to Hollywood, man. All right, well, Patrick, this has gone better than I thought. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, This is the part of the show where you plug anything other than my ass. Mm, Where can people... I want to expose people to your comedy, your... whatever you got going on you want people to check out like twitter i'm sure well, you are on twitter what's your twitter yeah just, i'll keep it simple it's twitter because i post everything i'm doing on twitter you know at trick sully patrick o'sullivan i know it's kind of weird but it's how t- do you spell at trick sully because my fan base might not be it's not just your fan base everybody wants to call me scully from x-files right uh t-r-i-c-k-s-u-l-l-y and you have like youtube and shit like that yeah but i'm not that consistent with that i do a lot of live stuff okay cool facebook you yeah trick sully it's all and, oh so everything's trick sully. Uh-huh. instagram too yep um check out this man ladies and gentlemen he's uh not only a very funny comic he's a very talented dude and uh you know he's one of the reasons i started this podcast because i just want to interview people i like and respect and uh i don't do this podcast for money thanks man uh, no, thank you, dude. Yeah. You're welcome. Any anytime there's a major event in pro wrestling, <laughs> you know, like the Hulk Hogan uh, heel turn, which I always like to refer to as wrestling 9-11, you know, when the second leg dropped on Savage, that was like the second plane hitting the tower. I was like, oh, shit, man. Before we go, what's your greatest, what's your fondest wrestling moment? Like, do you have an angle that you like the best? Not angle, but I remember live I saw a cage match between Piper and Orndorff. It was awesome. Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, that's it, you know? I was. I, I want to... I want my memory to be something I was actually there to witness. Well, I mean, I speaking of Mr. Orndorff at that WrestleMania I was at, I want to say WrestleMania 18, Staples Center. Uh, I saw him. He was just kind of laying around backstage on a couch, and I had to go up to him, man. It's like that's fucking Mr. Wonderful. Yep. I say, hey, Mr. Wonderful, I'm a big fan. I, I hated you as a kid, but he's like, that was my job, son. He's calling me son at the time. I'm in my 30s. And uh, he's like, young man, what do you think of wrestling today? I'm like, hey, man, like, can I be honest with you? He's like, yeah, it sucks. And he looks at me and goes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, I mean, uh, my favorite moment is uh, when I met Ultimate Warrior in full costume at an autograph signing right up the street from me. He was actually really nice. Everyone had said, hey, Earl, you don't really want to meet him. We know he's your favorite guy, but he, he's kind of a dick and, like, you know. It's like my friend was his entertainment lawyer for a while. I was like, he's crazy, dude. You don't, he's like, he, he just don't. Just, and I had to go because it was right up the street from where I live. Yeah. Uh, this music memorabilia shop, I guess his manager owned. So uh-huh. they did an autograph signing there. It was, it was a bizarre, like, this was like a punk, 
like they would sell like you know replacement CDs and right. you know like uh, Dinosaur Junior T-shirts. <laughs> it, it was like Junior. really a bizarre place for to have a pro wrestling signing. And uh, you know, I get up there. There's like 300 people there, and I'm last in line, just praying that nobody sees me standing in this line. Of course, like 10 people I know. Hey, Earl, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, new Dinosaur Junior shirts. I don't want to, you know, want to get it. You know, and uh, so I get up there, and I literally, you know, I couldn't look at him. He's in full makeup, you know, the the duster coat, arm yep. tassels, boots, and he's really nice. He's said my name three or four times, just trying to break the ice. Earl, I hear you're a big fan. Earl, you're thank you for coming. Earl, would you like a picture? And I'm just staring at his boots, going, "Yes, Mr. Warrior. Yes, Mr. Warrior. Can I get a picture, Mr. Warrior?" <laughs> Like it was like meeting Superman, right? And you know, then he died a few years later. And I know he tried to die on cue on Raw that night. I know he was, you know, that would have been the ultimate fuck you to Vince. <laughs> He's the oh, yeah, wow. You bring me back. I hate you. You hate me. Uh, you put me into the Hall of Fame. Uh, suck it. I'm gonna die on Raw live. <laughs> and you know, it was timing was a little off. About 18 hours too late. But you know, that's. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, wrestling talk, comedy talk, and uh, Patrick will be back for more, as Rat would sing, and uh, follow him, Trick Sully, on Twitter. I almost said on Trickster. Uh, that's a great band, though. A little late <laughs> to the party, though. Uh, 92 was not a good era to be breaking as a glam metal act. So, uh, But, you know, they gave it a shot. Inappropriate Earl, this is, I believe, episode 63 soundcloud itunes please leave a review also go on my youtube channel earl skakel i'm just trying to make it guys it's all social content now being talented means nothing in this business it's all about the numbers and uh we'll be uh next week we'll have uh, another guest i don't know who and if you think it's easy lining up guests well you start your own podcast and i'll listen to yours until then stop sending me emails on how to do it better because, you know, you get the fucking gear, you put it together, you figure out which buttons to press in the right order, and you get the guests to come to your home, uh, where I have all permit parking and no parking for the guests, and you get them on your couch, and then you can give me feedback. I don't tell uh, fucking uh, Russell Peters how to sell out theaters. He's already doing it. Russell, hook it up, brother. You know I'm a big Kiss fan. You've had every comic open for you but me. Come on. Keep it real, Russell. Just kidding, Russell. Follow Chris D'Elia, too. He's nice to me at the gym. Inappropriate Earl. Over and out. Open up.